Hi, and welcome to the Willow Ridge Church Weekly Podcast. This is where you can find audio for our current and past sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's installment, and be sure to check back next week to hear the latest message. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Glad that you are here with us. It is cold and wet and nasty outside, but glad that you guys are gathered in here today with us. And if you're online, thank you for joining us as well. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Luke chapter 2 as we're going to talk about the birth of Christ today. Um, As you turn there, I want to remind you, we have any announcements to to place. I want to remind you uh, of a couple of announcements. The first one is our Christmas Eve service. Uh, We will be having the Christmas Eve service. Uh, this is the first Christmas Eve service that we've had in a COVID world, right? We're, we're kind of getting used to how we can navigate through our normal Sunday mornings, uh, but this is going to be different for us, and so we're doing some things different. Um, we're going to have, instead of one combined Christmas Eve service, we're going to have it at 4 and 5.15. Now, if you're planning on attending here with us on campus, here's what we need from you. Please go and register, okay? Normally, that's the largest attended service that we have of the year as far as everyone being face-to-face, and we hope we can accommodate everyone by doing two services, and the only way that we can ensure that and that we can know what we're going to have is for for you to come and and register, so please do. Please still, we've had people ask, can we invite people? Can we bring our friends and our family with us? Absolutely. Just register them with you, and we'll get everybody uh, taken care of and and, and get you all there. All right, so if you're going to watch us online, we are going to stream the 515 service. And so if you're staying at home still or if you can't make it that day, then please join us online and we will be taking the Lord's Supper together. So if you're going to be watching, then please make sure that you have that and have it all taken care of. Uh, And so we'll worship together that way. Also, at the end of the service today, uh, Pastor Dave's going to come up on stage and take us into our business meeting where we will vote on the budget and the trustees. And so after the last song, please don't uh, start heading out. You want to make sure that you're around for that. So I want to ask you guys a question as we get started today. When was the last time someone humbled you? Think to, there was a, a moment where you thought something of yourself and someone through what they did or what they said humbled you a little bit. Maybe they humbled you a lot. I want you to think about that. For, for me, the, the last one that I can remember, I've got to think all the way back to yesterday. All right. Yesterday, we, we got together with, with Aaron's family for, for Christmas. We, we typically uh, get together the Saturday before Christmas with them. And so it's Aaron's mom and dad and, and her brother, his wife, and their daughter and, and our crew are there. And so we're there. And, and Lily, that's my seven-year-old niece, every time we're around each other, we, we like to spend time together and have some really good conversations. And I like to pick at her a little bit, right? Like, like that's the relationship that we have. I don't even really call her by her name. I just call her Felicia. And so that's the relationship that we have. And so we're sitting there yesterday and we're talking about school and and, and we're having lots of conversations about school. And she begins to tell me about 
her boyfriend. Now, now she's seven, okay? And she's telling me about her boyfriend at school, which uh, you can ask Emma. Um, I, I, I take a stand on that. I tell Emma all the time, she's allowed to start dating three days after I'm dead, right? That's when she can start. Let the body get good and cold and in the ground, sweetie, and then you can start dating, all right? And so, but, but Lily tells me she, she has a boyfriend, and I begin to tell her that this is nonsense. Like, you shouldn't have a boyfriend. And she begins to give me all the ins and outs of the drama that is taking place at her first grade Ben Lippin class, right? And so we're talking, having a, having a good time about that. And I said, well, why do you like him? She's like, well, but I like him. Like, why do you like him? And she said, well, because he's cute. Okay, all right. And I said, well, I bet he's not as cute as me. She kind of looks at me like I'm crazy, which is probably accurate, right? And I said, Lily, do you think I'm cute? And she kind of gives me this look like I don't quite know how to answer this. And I said, Lily, let me ask you a different question. Do you think that your Uncle Bo, who, who loves you, who cares for you, who's brought gifts for you, do you think he's handsome? She looked at me and she goes, no, not really. <laughs> To which my father-in-law, sitting on the opposite side of the room, says this. Here's the humility, right? Here's where I got humbled. He said, you got to love seven-year-olds. They speak the truth. Here's what he's saying. I'm ugly, right? Like my father-in-law affirmed that there in that moment. But there's like this humility that, that in that moment that she spoke something that maybe that I want to deny but to establish what's there, right? So a lot of times when we think of humility or, or being humbled, like we think of taking someone who elevates themselves and knocking them down a few notches to get them back to where they are, right? Now everything yesterday was in, was in good fun and we got to, to laugh about it. But when we look at Scripture, it, it's got to be very clear and very evident to you. And this is going to really connect us a lot when we talked about last week, is that God loves humility. It, it's a characteristic and a trait that we see throughout Scripture. And so what I want to do, I want to read very quickly. These aren't even going to be on the screen. There's, I think, nine verses from Scripture that show God's heart for the humble that show God's heart for humility. So we're just going to go quickly, speed read through these. Psalm 18, 27. For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. Psalm 25, 9. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. Proverbs three thirty four. Toward the scoffers he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. James 4, 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Proverbs eleven two. when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs fifteen thirty three. the fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom and humility comes before honor. Matthew 18, 4, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. In 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. 
So what we find in Scripture, and this is just a small sampling of when humility is used and described by God as an attribute that should be possessed by his people. Just in this sampling, we see that humility is connected to salvation, to guidance from God, to grace from God, to wisdom, to honor, and to greatness. So humility should be something that that you and I can not only see in our life, but it is something that we are pursuing. Now, as we look through this, we started with it last week, as we look through this early birth narrative of Jesus Christ found in Scripture all the way back to Mary finding out that she'll be the mother of the Lord, to the song that she sings, we see that humility fills the pages of this narrative. And here's why I think this is so important. Go all the way back to our first week and remember that the setting in which, or I'm sorry, the audience into which Luke is writing. The, the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel Acts, both written by Luke, written to Theophilus. And he tells Theophilus that he is writing them so that he may know Jesus, that he's heard. Like Theophilus, this isn't his first introduction to Jesus, but that he's heard about Jesus, but that his friend Luke is writing these things to him in order to confirm in him accurate belief. And so as Luke is telling this narrative to someone that he deeply loves, woven into this under God's inspiration is this concept of humility, all right? So, so what is humility? Because humility has got to be different than than you and I seeking to knock each other down a peg, to to, to picking at each other. And, And I'll say this, that spiritually speaking, concerning Scripture in the heart of God is this, that the heart of humility is seeing yourself accurately. Like, like humility is not thinking less of yourself, okay? Humility is not beating yourself up. Humility is not this punishment that you and I have to take on. Humility is not a sign of weakness, all right? Jesus is humble. Jesus, as he lived his life, embraced humility. But humility is seeing yourself accurately, right? And that's kind of hard for us to do sometimes. And as we read through this morning, the the first part of of chapter two, what I want us to see is the humility that's found in this story. So we'll start reading in verse one. It says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this was the first registration when Canarius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and lied him in the manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good 
uh, good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angel went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to, over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that they had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. And what I want us to do in this story that, let's be honest, for, for many of us, we've, we've heard multiple times. For many of us, the, the, the story, the narrative we can find in our, in, in our nativity scene that's, that's placed at our house this time of year. We can see the, the story told in, in a Charlie Brown cartoon. And what I want us to see, what I want us to focus in on is the humility in the story. And then what is the humility drawing us toward? What does the humility point us toward? And so the first thing that I want us, want us to look at are the places. The places that we find in this story. Yesterday, Aaron and I on, on our drive there, I just asked her. I said, you know, I've really been, been thinking about this this week as, as we've been seeing different things that are going on in, in, in the news. She and I are listening to a couple of podcasts that are dealing with different areas in Syria and what's happening there. And, and I said, do you ever just wonder why God in his sovereignty the creator of the world, who knows every mountain peak in every valley, who knows every square inch of this planet, that why God chose this area of the world for all of this to take place and for all of this to happen, right? From Genesis all the way through, when, when we are associated with biblical areas, right? It's been areas marked of turmoil and fighting and strife and struggle time and time again. That why in the world would, would God choose these places in order to reveal himself? Right? We just read in, in this passage of Scripture within it the, the connection to, to Syria that's there. And, and it got me even thinking more of, of the locations and the places now because they all matter. They're, they're not chosen by, by random circumstance that God in His purpose, that God in His time, that God in His will made these choices. And for us, we hear these names in, in Scripture a lot. But we don't understand the, the impact of what's there because we're not from that time, we're not from that place, and so you don't know what it's like until you walk through that and you get to experience that. Well, the first place that we hear in this that helps us understand the, the, the story is Nazareth. That this is where they're going to come from to Bethlehem. This is where Jesus is going to live much of his childhood. It's why he's referred to as Jesus of Nazareth. So let's talk about this place for, for just a second. Let's, 
Let me describe it this way. Nazareth is kind of the tough area. Nazareth is the difficult area. Nazareth is the, is the hard-to-live-in area. Like, Nazareth is not a place where people of influence come from there. Nazareth would never be a place that, that you would go to or, or vacation. It would probably be a place where you could get land really cheap for a really good reason because you can't give it away kind of Nazareth place. This is where we find, and this is where the, the Jesus is going to be associated with. So I want us to think about this. As Jesus is walking and as Jesus is being identified in all of the sovereignty of all of what God could have chosen, of where God could have placed him, he labeled him with this type of, of rough place where he would be from that people would associate him with. He was from the wrong side of the tracks, the bad side of town. And this is where we find that Jesus will be from. But God in his sovereignty didn't have him born there. Instead, he had him born in Bethlehem. And this was intentional by God as revealed in Micah 5, 2, when it's declared that this is where the Messiah will come from. Now, Bethlehem is different than Nazareth. It's got some importance. You, you hear the name, and it's associated with royalty. Bethlehem is called the, the city of David for a reason. It's where great King David, the one who slayed Goliath, the, the father of Solomon, it was where he would be anointed king. It's where Ruth and, and Boaz would, would call home. So when you hear Bethlehem, you can think back to some Old Testament days of the royalty and of not not notable people from Scripture who was there. It's an important, known city. And so if Jesus is going to be from Nazareth, then at least God, right, gives him some notability, some notoriety, and has him born in this noble town. But let's begin to look at the pieces as God orchestrates this. Right? So God had Joseph born in the lineage that would bring them through Bethlehem in order to make this happen. God willed and purposed Mary to get engaged to Joseph. And then through something else that we can talk about at a much different time, as God even works and orchestrates in the hearts and in the lives of non-believers, takes a pagan ruler in Caesar Augustus and has him declared that the whole world, right, not just a group of people, but God says we're going to declare that the whole world must be registered so that they have to journey into this town where I said that Jesus would be born. And so we look at that and we're kind of blown away. Like, wow, like God has handled all of these details. God has worked this all out that God knew that this person needed to be in power to make this decision that they would have to come here and do this thing so that Micah 5 2 could be fulfilled. But if you know the story, you know there's one part in the logic of working everything out that's been left out. There's no place for him. So why would it be that God could purpose and will and to set into place in his sovereignty that this carpenter man from this town through this lineage would make this journey with his wife and they would head into this town so that the prophecy could be fulfilled, but God missed out on the detail to make sure that there was just one room open at the end. And here's the whole point of the humility. God never missed it. God never missed it. 
Because in the telling of the narrative and the humility that is found that the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the King, would be born in this town, but, but not in a hospital, not in an inn, not in a home, but that he would be born in a cave where livestock were kept. And so in the filth and in the dirt and in the nastiness that was there, in the smells, is where Jesus would be born. And we continue to see the humility. You see, Jesus was not going to be a man from Jerusalem born in Rome that would take place in a palace. But he would be this little boy from Nazareth who his parents would have to journey and be told, no, you're not valuable enough for someone else to be moved out. Instead, let's move you where the animals live. And when you're born, we'll place you literally in the trough that they eat from. It's in the very beginning of the narrative of the life of Christ. In God's desire to bring about us a sense of humility, we see the places in which Jesus is going to be from, the places in which Jesus is going to be associated with are filled with humility. But it's not just the places, it's also the people. Talked about her last week, right? Mary, somewhere between the ages of 12 to 14 years old, little Jewish girl from nowhere, and she was chosen by God. She wasn't chosen by God because of the claim that she had. She wasn't chosen by God because people said, you see this girl, we can follow her. She's got great leadership. She was chosen by God because of her humility and obedience, because she lived her life to not do what she wanted, not to assert herself to be the strong personality, but she lived her life in humility out of obedience. And so that's the mother of God. But within this, there's also the earthly father, Joseph. Now, we don't know a lot about Joseph, all right? Here's what we do know that he's a carpenter. We don't know if he's a, su a successful carpenter or, or not a successful carpenter, but that's what he does for a living, which means this. He's not in politics. He's not in power. He doesn't have authority, and he doesn't have influence. And so in the lineage that you would find from King David, this has not been passed down to him. This is not where we see Joseph. So the earthly parents of Jesus are just going to be your regular, everyday, average people. And this is who God chooses. The humble people that will come in their obedience to be the earthly parents of Jesus. But at least the audience, right? Like God could do something different in the audience. God could choose kings and, and queens that night to come celebrate. God could choose religious leaders in this narrative to be able to point us to. God could, could choose people of, of power and, and people of authority. But he chooses shepherds. Shepherds. Now, shepherds live their life basically by camping, all right? Now, I, my family, we, we love to camp. Here's what I want to tell you guys about camping. We got any campers in, in here? Raise your hand if you like to camp, all right? Here's what I want to tell you about those of us who like to camp. When you go camping, there's something that happens between here and there. 
it's a, it's a level of you stop caring what you're going to look like for as long as you camp, right? Like, everybody's camping, you're like, yeah, that's kind of what we do, right? Like, like you get there and you go camping. Now, now your depth of, of camping will, will affect that greatly, right? So if you go tent camping, like I can sometimes convince my wife to go do, right? Very quickly, it's like we're just going to be covered in dirt and bug bites for the next two or three days, right? And that's what it's going to be. Now, when we go glamping in the big old camper where there's showers and, and all that, that kind of looks a little different. But if you're going to camp, you, you kind of, it's not the same thing as staying at the resort or going on the cruise ship, right? Like leave those clothes away. So you, you look a little rougher when you get back, at least I am. The thing that I like to do when we get back camping is I like to take the longest shower of the year for me, right? Like just let it all get off of me. Now here's the deal. Shepherds live their whole life camping. This is who they are. They were dirty, they smelled bad, they lived nomadic lives, and like when I say camping for them, it would be they kept their cloak with them, they laid their head down on the rock, they laid in the same area where their animals were, they began to smell like them, and this is the life that they lived. They typically didn't have families they typically were strangers out on out in the wilderness, and most times I read a guy that just said the politest way that it could be that that basically shepherds were not known for for what he called their depth of thinking abilities. Right, like this is who they are, but God, in His sovereignty, who could have chosen anyone on that first Christmas night, sends them. The outcast, the least of these. And so what we see in this Christmas story is humble people from humble places, and this is where God brings in the Savior of the world. Not born to a virgin queen, to a father who rules nations, to be celebrated by those who live in power, but humble people. In humble places. So the question that I have for us this morning is why? Why? God wrote the narrative. God set it all into place. God in his writing of history chose this setting for the Messiah to come. Why? And here's the only thing that I can come to because it fits the message. It fits the message that God who created and who wrote the story with humble people in humble places is calling to himself humble people from humble places to respond to him. Because what he needs is people who have an accurate picture of themselves. Mary knew who she was. You heard it in her song. Joseph knew who he was. He stood alongside Mary. The shepherds knew what they were, and they were willing to obey. That the message of God drawing humble hearts to himself. Look at the declaration that, that, the, that the angel gives to him in Luke 2, verse 10. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy 
that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, uh, city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That from the very first proclamation of what's publicly going to be made known, that the hope of Jesus who comes and what he is coming to do. Jesus is going to do a lot of things. Jesus is going to heal. Jesus is going to restore. Jesus is going to teach about relationships. Jesus is going to work through all of these things, but that in and who he is, he is from the very meaning of his name. He is a savior. And so Jesus didn't come to make you and I feel better about who we are. Jesus didn't come to to make us feel better about the bad decisions we've made. Jesus came because the world needed to be saved from themselves, and only he can do it. As we begin to understand, as we begin to process through an accurate picture of ourselves. And God helps us do this. God doesn't say, go be humble and not begin to birth within us the the ability to see within ourselves who we are. The depravity that fills us, the, 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 the sin that consumes us. And one of the most gracious things that God does is he gives us the law. Now, now growing up, I, when you walked into the house in which we lived in, you walked into our front door, and I'll never forget on the wall as you saw it as you were coming in, my mom had ordered from, from the home interior company, right, this, this wooden brass uh, declaration, right, of the Ten Commandments. So that when we walked in, that's what we saw on the wall, and that's what marked us. And for for so many people, when they see the Ten Commandments, what they see it as is is a standard at which to live by. And that by, by looking at that standard, we can set the goal for ourselves of what we're supposed to do and what we're supposed to be. And I don't want to take away from that, right? Like, like everything within there is the truth of God's word that we push at. And as we pursue, as through the power of the Holy Spirit, he transforms that. But have you ever taken an honest reading of the Ten Commandments and then compared yourself to it? Have you ever had an honest conversation within who you are by holding yourself up to the standard of God? If you haven't, let's do that real quick. Now, I want to tell you, I want to leave out some of the really bad stuff. We're going to keep this G-rated for the audience today. And I'm going to be a little gracious to us because I got to beat myself up this week by by going through this. We're going to kind of eliminate the first handful that deal with idolatry. Not that that's not important, but that would take us way too long to to navigate through all that. So we're going to pick back up a little bit farther down and kind of work through some of these. So I want to ask you this question. Oh, and by the way, we're going to let your answers be between you and the Lord. All right. So no showing of hands or anything like that. All right. Number one, have you ever taken the Lord's name in vain? So let's, let's talk about that for a second. Keeping this, like I said, a little, little G-rated. So here's what I want to say. Here's what that means. Have you ever in a moment through the words that come out of your mouth used God or the name Jesus flippantly? God, I hope not, we say. Jesus, not in the context that we're talking to him. And in those moments, We use it in a way that did not bring him glory. 
The standard says, remember the Sabbath. Have you ever taken what's precious to God in the time that he longs to spend with us and you used it selfishly in a time that's been taken away from him? God's word says, and parents, if you're in here, you love this one, right? I do. Honor your father and mother, but let's be honest, God never sets an age limit on that. So I don't care if you're one or you're 100. God's standard says, honor your father and mother. And have you ever done or said anything that brought attack or disgrace onto your parents? And this is the standard that we accept not just if your parents are believers. Do not murder. Thinking, well, I'm good at that one, but Jesus' words are very clear. Have you ever hated someone? Have you ever hated someone? It says, do not commit adultery. And we can break this down multiple ways, but we'll just kind of go in the, at the easiest way, maybe, maybe the less aggressive way, and say this. Uh, do not commit adultery. What does your thought life look like? If you're married, have you ever wished that your spouse was a little bit like someone you worked with? And your heart began to kind of like that aspect of them more than the commitment to them. Do not steal, all right? Maybe we have no bank robbers in here, that's good. But have you ever stolen time from your employer, showed up five minutes late and then lied about it? Have you ever taken credit for something that someone else has done or maybe just not refuted when someone else praises you when you know you had nothing to do with it? Have you ever just fudged a little bit on your taxes, right? Like you drop off that bag of nasty tore up clothes at Goodwill and they give you the blank receipt and you come home and now you've given like 10 flat screen TVs to them. Like, have you ever done that? The Bible says do not bear false witness. Have you ever heard information about someone else that's negative and you don't know whether it's true or not, but you repeated it to someone else? I didn't know, it's just what I heard. Do not covet. Have you ever seen something that someone else has that you don't have and you felt more deserving to have it than they did? It's the standard. Now here's the thing. Scripture's clear. If you've only done one of these one time in your life, just one, just one time, then you're guilty. You're guilty. You're guilty. And the standing that we have before God says that we're not worthy of him. And so God appears in humble places to humble people to show us something powerful. That when we come to him, it's not what we can bring to him. It's not what we can do for him. That the heart of the gospel for you and for me says that we've broken and we've offended God more times than we know. But that not only that, but in and of ourselves when we do good, 
when we do these things and we say, but, but, but God, I can do this. But God, I did this. But God, I did this. That God's word says that our righteousness that comes from within ourselves of all that we can muster is like filthy rags before him. And so what we need is exactly what the angels come to say. I love their first two words. Fear not. Right? Sitting in this room, watching online, is a bunch of guilty people who all deserve wrath, who all deserve hell. But in the proclamation of all that we've done, the word of God comes before us and says, fear not, because I bring good news of the gospel to you. And that as I bring this, as I project forth about the Savior of the world, that there's a positioning found in God's people to receive it. And it's not one that says, look at me. It's not one that says, well, I deserve to be saved. It's not one that says, I know. It's one that says, I bring nothing to you, but instead you give this to me. Humility, an accurate picture of who we are, completely lost without Christ. And an accurate picture of who he is, completely holy and just and good and loving. And so that's why God reveals himself to humble people in humble places. But it's because it helps us understand the message of the gospel. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you so much for who you are and for what you've done. Your word is very clear, Lord, that you have a standard that we cannot fulfill, that we cannot uphold, that we cannot see through. As much as we may try to be religious, as much as we may try to be good. We can never be religious enough. We can never be good enough. And so, Lord, you, you come to us to save us. Lord, those who are, who are saved need to be saved because they cannot save themselves. And that's where you appear. And that's where you reveal. And that's what you show as you draw hearts to yourself because of who you are, Lord, and what you've done. God, I pray that this morning, if we walked into this room with any sense of, of self-righteousness, if we walked into here with any sense of, of, of saying that, that we deserve anything from you, anything, Lord, can we take that part of our sinful heart and lay it down and repent so that we may experience the joy and the life that comes from you. May this be our posture of, of, of every day, of every moment, of every hour, of what it means to, to show fear of the Lord, humility before the Lord, who you are, what you've done. So Lord, I thank you that you come to weak, 
dirty, outcast shepherds like us. And you speak the joy of salvation into our lives. Jesus, we love you. We praise you. It's your name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Willow Ridge Church weekly podcast. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this week's message. If you'd like to learn more about who we are or explore additional resources, visit us online at www.willowridgechurch.com or by searching for Willow Ridge Church on Facebook and Instagram.